you <coughs> availed yourself of a handout that's in the narthex. Tonight we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 3, through chapter 7, verse 12. <coughs> I've entitled this, How One Views Death Affects How One Views Life. Once again, we are faced with the stark contrast of life viewed from an ungodly perspective and life viewed from a, a godly perspective. Tonight, the emphasis is on the ungodly perspective, especially the view that this life is all that there is, and there is nothing after this life. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 12, I'm taking as the theme verse. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So again, we are looking at this perspective of an ungodly life lived under the sun. So first, what happens when a person and what happens when a person thinks that this life is all that there is? How does that impact one's outlook on life? Well, first of all, if a person is not satisfied with life, what good is a long life? Ecclesiastes 6, verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So you can live a very long time, but what value is there in living a long time if you're not satisfied with life. Secondly, if a person's not satisfied with life, it is better not to have been born. The end of verse 3, in the bold, it says, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. The thought is better to have not lived at all than to have lived a life that is totally unrewarding. This takes only one's own pleasure into view, of course, it doesn't think about other people. It certainly is not thinking about a life lived for God. But if all there is to life is our pleasure, and we have no pleasure in life, then better not to have lived at all. Number three, this helps us to understand people's thoughts about abortion. There are many people in this world that think better for a child not to be born, than to be born into poverty, or to be born in a difficult situation, or if a person is physically or mentally challenged. The reasoning is, well, who would want to live a life like that? Better not to live than to live a life where one is physically challenged. And so the rationale is, of course, better not to live than to put someone through that agony, that, that misery. You're sparing them. You are doing them a favor. You are indeed being a help to them, is the thought, if this is the only thing there is in this world, and the only reason we are here is to enjoy ourselves. See, if a person has never been born, they do not know the cares of life. 
Ecclesiastes 6, 4. For it comes in vanity, that is life, and goes in darkness. And in darkness, its name is covered. The thought is that when life is over, it is simply over. You just enter into darkness. You enter into nothingness. And if you enter into nothingness, then the name is covered in the sense that it doesn't live on. There is no reward. There is no benefit. There is nothing to be gained. One simply passes out of existence. The person who dies is at rest, whereas the living still struggle. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 5. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. So this stillborn child knows rest, even though it's never seen daylight, even though it's never seen the sun, even though it's never lived, yet it's never experienced turmoil and hardship and difficulty. And I have here, and I'm going to expand on this later, but it's a common theme at many funerals. At least their suffering is over. At least this person no longer is going to experience hardship or difficulty. And number two, this is often the thought regardless of whether or not the person knew the Lord. Uh, that is a common theme. It is said often whether the person knows Christ or not. But people will say, well, at least their suffering is over. At least they don't know any more pain. At least they're not struggling with this illness. Better for them that they have died, period, regardless of what the future state is. E, don't all people have the same end? Ecclesiastes 6 6. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, so he lives two thousand years yet enjoy no good, then it says this, do not all go to the one place. And one could understand that generically in the sense that don't we all die, but it appears to be more singular than that. For it says, do not all go to one place. Isn't everyone's end the same? Of course, that's looking strictly from the view of the ungodly. It's taking God out of the picture. But if you take God out of the picture, the thought is, what's next? It's nothingness. And everyone is going to experience that same nothingness. If the person who works to satisfy his pleasures will never be satisfied, Ecclesiastes 6, 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Uh, it's a very striking picture. We, if you remember last week, we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in the first two verses of chapter 6. And there we found out that is, there is nothing better than for a man to eat and drink and to enjoy life. In this instance, the person eats and drinks but does not enjoy life. We saw last week that that's a gift of God to enjoy and be satisfied with what God gives. This person is not satisfied. 
And then there is this statement of which we all can identify readily, and that is, no matter how scrumptious the meal, no matter how large the banquet, no matter how much you stuff yourself today, the appetite is not satisfied. Tomorrow, the next day, you're going to be hungry again. No matter what you've eaten, no matter the delicacy, no matter how flavorable it was, the appetite is not satisfied. And then you can apply that to all areas of life. Whatever it is we get, we still aren't satisfied with what we have. There is still more to get. There is still better to have. The appetite for any possession cannot truly, ultimately, be satisfied without a contentment that comes from God. F. Oh, that was F. Okay, G. The wise person is no better off than the fool. Ecclesiastes 6.6. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? So what benefit is there of wisdom? Because you're going to die anyway. So what matters if you lived your life wisely or you lived your life foolishly? All people die. Life ends. Better to have obtained rather than just to long for, Ecclesiastes 6.9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. So there the idea is, well, at least it's better to accumulate rather than just wish for. Better to satisfy your appetites, even though they can't be fully satisfied. And you can easily see how that can promote a very sinful lifestyle. You might as well enjoy yourself, thinking that sin is pleasurable. You might as well enjoy yourself rather than deny yourself, for it's all about joy. It's all about enjoyment. It's all about meeting your own desires. But Ecclesiastes 6.9, the end of that says, this also is vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. It is meaningless. Next is a consideration of the same old monotony of life. Ecclesiastes 6.10. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? Answer, none. And then, who knows what will come next? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? For those who do not know God, at best, the future is uncertain. There's this huge question mark 
What happens after a person dies? There is this thought, well, it's nothingness. Life just ends. But how do you know? How do you know? And it becomes a mystery. Wouldn't it be nice to know what happens after a person dies? You can readily see how life is pretty depressing if one has no faith in God, no faith in the resurrection, no hope of the Easter miracle. So number two, there's value in contemplating that life will come to an end. It's good to think about in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's going to be a progression for we're going to see in Ecclesiastes there is hope, there is resurrection. But right now it's looking at life from an ungodly perspective. But even in that ungodly perspective, it's good to contemplate that question, what will be next? What is going to happen after I die? That's a very legitimate question to be asking oneself. So number two, there's value in contemplating that life will come to an end. And so it says the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. The first statement, that is, a good name is better than precious ointment, focuses on the condition of those who have died. Ecclesiastes 7, 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. The context is speaking of death. In that era, in the nation of Israel, bodies were not embalmed. Therefore, dead bodies were anointed with perfumes and spices in order to mitigate the bad odor and seek to replace it with a more appealing fragrance. Anointing a body was a way to honor the dead. And so, as we think of a good reputation, thus a good reputation brings a far more beautiful aroma at death than does the most precious and costly ointments and spices. A good reputation and fond remembrances are the very basis of the eulogies and testimonials that are given at funerals. So, as people gather at a funeral to honor the dead, how is it honored? Well, in a similar way to anointing the body with perfume, uh, a casket is prepared, and sometimes exorbitant amounts of money are put into that casket as a way of honoring the individual. Some are much more ornate than others. The linings differ. The outward casket itself differs. There are flowers. There are arrangements. There are ways to honor, but the primary way in which the individual is honored is through a eulogy. Speaking of praise, recounting their life, talking about the good things that they have done, expressing appreciation for their love, for their commitment, perhaps for their steadfastness. And you know all the things that are said at funerals in order to honor an individual. When our life is over, as far as those that are around us are concerned, our reputation is what 
comes to the forefront. Then comes the striking statement that better is the day of death than the day of birth. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. Now why would that be? Why would the day of one's death be better than the day of one's birth? There are a number of reasons that could be given. The first is that on the day of one's birth, one has all of one's earthly life before them. A person may be born with great potential, and yet how often that potential is not fully realized. How many yearbooks people write and say that they're going, this person's going to meet with great success, but unfortunately they do not. Or perhaps like Solomon, who might start off well, but later in life wander from the Lord. The day of one's death is the sealing of one's testimony. One's reputation is fixed. We will evermore be remembered for the things done in this life. So as you put the two thoughts together, that is, a good reputation is better than precious ointment, and you link that with the second statement, that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth, is because when you die, your reputation is finalized. When you die, the struggle is over. When you die, you have the heritage of your reputation. And so better to end well than to start with a tremendous degree of potential that you may never reach. And then secondly, which is the one that is most intertwined with the verses around it, is that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth because life is filled with hardship. There are many pains and difficulties associated with life. Job 5, 7 says, But a man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Just as it's a given that when you strike a flint, the sparks are going to fly upwards, so too life is filled with trouble. We all can bear testimony to the troubles of life. Number one, at one's death, those pains and sufferings are all over. And I put, for those who know Christ, for the believer in Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Again, we have the words of the Apostle Paul, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Revelation 14, 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds do follow them. Therefore, for the child of God, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth, for to die is gain. But in this particular portion, this life is viewed as all there is. But again, in that pessimistic view of life, it's better to die, for at least the pain of this life is over. It is the reason why so many commit suicide. 
They think it better to die than to go on living. Whatever the future may be, with the big question mark, with the great uncertainty of what happens after one dies, whether it is just non-existence, whether it's an eternal darkness, or whether there is something else, in the mind of all too many, it can't be worse than this life. It can't be worse than what I'm going through. It can't be worse than the misery and the heartache that we know. And I'm sure you have heard people talk about uh, hell on earth or a living hell. Obviously, they have no conception of what hell really is, but it's that thought that it can't be worse than this. It can't be worse than this. Well, B, it's better to go to a funeral than a birthday party. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. The first reason that it is better to go to a funeral than a birthday party is because it causes us to focus on the issue that is relevant to every single one of us here this evening, and that is our own mortality. Namely, that life as we know it is going to come to an end. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, for this is the end of all mankind. It's one thing that we have in common whenever we attend a funeral. It's a reminder to each one of us that someday we're going to die. All of us who are gathered here this evening know that death is a fact of life. But it is a reality that we tend to put out of our minds. And it's easy to live our lives as though we're going to live forever. We put off making wills, purchasing burial plots, and having important conversations with our families. Subconsciously, we always think we have tomorrow. We always have time to get it done. There will be a time to write out a will. There will be a time to purchase a burial plot. That conversation I need to have with my children or grandchildren, there will be time for that. There will be time. There will be time. It's good to be reminded that our days are short. Our days are numbered. And the reality is none of us know the day of our death. We don't know that we're going to make it home this evening. We don't know. We don't know. At least the funeral causes us to take a moment and to realize here was somebody who maybe I talked to last week, maybe seemed like they were in good health, maybe you had the opportunity to actually engage with or play a board game with or had a meaningful conversation, and now they're gone. It's a reminder that that is all of our ends. And number two, the second reason that going to a funeral is better than going to a birthday party is because it provides us with a unique opportunity to examine our own lives 
and respond appropriately to the inevitability of death. For it says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Why? For this is the end of all mankind. And then further, and the living will lay it to heart. Hopefully, in sitting through a funeral, we contemplate our own death. We contemplate our own immortality. We contemplate for ourselves what happens after we die. Hey, as you contemplate the inevitability of your own death, I encourage you to ask yourself two very important questions. First, how will I be remembered? Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is better than precious ointment. What will my reputation be? Will I be well thought of? Can people say that we have been a godly influence in their lives? What will our legacy be? How will this world have been a better place for our having been in it? How often do you ask yourself, how am I going to be thought of? In the old days, they used to write a little synopsis on the tombstone of the person who died. What will people say about you? What will they say about me? What will our grandchildren remember about us? Our co-workers? What will their thoughts be? As we sit and we listen to eulogies, it should be a time of reflection. What are people going to say when I die? And then secondly, the second question to ask yourself is, will the day of my death be better than the day of my life? Will the day of my death be better than the day of my birth? Will death be a gain to me? You know, we have the Apostle Paul saying, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then I have, number two, there's a prevalent misconception about death. And the misconception is that death is always better than life. I've heard it said so often, as I alluded to earlier, and so indiscriminately concerning the death of a person, at least they're in a better place. That is only true if a person has placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is gained for those who have lived for Christ. And the reality is, no matter how horrific one's life is, no matter what degree of misery one knows, no matter how great the personal suffering, to enter a Christless eternity is far worse. It's far worse. And because of the post-Christian era in which we live, Unfortunately, many people don't understand that.
people take their own lives thinking that they are going to escape the frying pan only to actually enter the fire. They will escape nothing. They will only know greater pain. They will only know greater hardship. They will only know greater difficulty. Better for them that they had not died. Better for them, whatever their situation is in this life. Truly, the way we view life after death has an incredible impact on how we view this life. And now, the wisdom gained through considering death is more widely applied. First, like going to a funeral is better than going to a house of mirth, so too a heart of sorrow is better than laughter. Ecclesiastes 7.3 Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The idea is hardship and difficulty in life can lead you to a greater understanding of what is important and significant in life. So many people out of their misery are motivated to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So often, the difficulty of life points us to Christ in a unique and precious way. Job, through all that he suffered, at the end could say, Before I heard of thee with the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees thee. He came to know God in a more intimate and more precious way. For the child of God, suffering is sanctified. Suffering is used of God. Suffering teaches us how to comfort others. Suffering helps us to understand the tremendous grace of God to send his son to suffer in our place. And suffering can take on a redemptive value. As we seek to suffer in a way in which God is glorified, we point people to the great escape. That's not the escape of suicide, but it's the escape of the blessing of God, the contentment he can give, the comfort that he can provide, the endurance that he's able to create in us. And yes, even through suffering, the heart can be made glad. That's unique for the child of God. That's an entirely different perspective. We also recognize that a blind Beethoven can produce great symphonies. Realize that people that even are physically challenged have a great way in which they can honor and glorify God. If life is more than pleasure, if life is about exalting him and declaring his glory, then suffering takes on an entirely different outlook. Secondly, The wise person thinks about death. The fool does not. Ecclesiastes 7, 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. 
but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. That same thought coming up time and time again. The wise person thinks about the life to come. The fool does all that they can to distract themselves from it. Whether that be partying all the time, to taking medications, legal or illegal, to try to get one's mind off of the future realities, whatever the case may be. But it's wise to think about death. Third, it's better to be corrected than to be entertained. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 5, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than hear the song of fools. The song of fools, those people that sing our praises, those people who pat us on the back, even when we have done wrong, when we have done evil, especially the unbelievers who relish the sinfulness of their friends, and they laugh and they mock about their wrongdoing. Better to hear the rebuke of the wise. Better to know about our sinfulness. Better to come to an understanding that not everyone enters the presence of God. Better to understand the truth than to be deluded. For number four, the laughter of fools is short-lived. It's a rather strange analogy, but if you look at verse six, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, that is likened unto the laughter. It's the crackling of thorns under a pot. So is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. What's it saying? Well, the crackling of thorns, they make a lot of noise, which is likened unto laughter, people who make noise. But thorns are bramble. And if you put them under a pot to heat the pot, it's not going to do much because they're going to go up in flame like this. Worse than kindling. It's just going to be instantly consumed. It will make a bright light, but it won't heat the pot. Laughter. Laughter can make sorrow seem to go away. But it's extremely short-lived. Extremely short-lived. The sorrow comes back. The misery goes on. And if the person does not know Christ, it will be an horrific eternity. Better. Better to be rebuked by the wise than to be sung to by the fools. May God grant us wisdom as we think about life, and especially as we think about life after death, and the difference, the reality. Not all go to the same place. That's the problem with Ecclesiastes 6 and 7. We don't all go to the same place. There's a great benefit in living your life as a wise person.
as opposed to a fool. To take the time to reflect upon death and not simply choose to ignore it. May God be with us all. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to contemplate the realities of life and death, even as we make daily decisions, even as we think about our own reputation, even as we think about consequences of our actions, what they're going to mean for others. And Lord, I pray for those that are going through hardship and difficulty. May they find solace in knowing one day truly they are going to be pain-free. There will be a day when there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more tears, there will be no more anguish, there will be no more death. But Lord, may it be firmly planted in our hearts and minds that that is only true of those who have come to Christ. Those who have placed their faith and trust in him. And without coming to Christ, the future is horrendous. Worse than anything anyone has ever experienced in this life. No one who is without Christ can say, death is gain. It never is. Teach us these truths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.